So we're going to start off this morning by diving into what God has for us through His Word. We are currently preaching through the Gospel of Luke, and we are looking at chapter 16 of the Gospel of Luke. And you can turn this along, uh, verses 14 to 18 this morning. But before we jump into this text, and before we look at what Jesus teaches us today, I just quickly wanted to recap of, uh, give you a recap of where we're at and, and what had been happening in the previous chapters. The context of today's text is that Jesus is still carrying on preaching and teaching about the kingdom of God, and he's doing this knowing that he is going to die on the cross. This is just months before he's going to be crucified. And he carries on preaching and teaching by making use of parables. He's, he's making use of stories to illustrate what the kingdom of God means and, and what the principles of the kingdom of God are and, and how to enter the kingdom of God. And as usual, we see that Jesus is confronted by the religious elite of the day. They are the Pharisees. And they are always close by. They are always following. They are always watching Jesus and what he is doing. They are always looking for a way to trap him. They are always looking to find something wrong with him. And so we see time after time how the Pharisees' hearts are hardened. You just move on with the slides there. Sorry. Oopsie. We see time after time how the Pharisees' hearts are hard towards Jesus' words. But every time there is a confrontation between Jesus and these Pharisees, we know how it plays out. Every time it's the same, Jesus makes them look like fools. He, he shows them up for who they really are and what they really are. And they always come away from these confrontations with egg on their face, so to say. And so we see again here today an example of how these religious people, these religious elite, they are infuriated with what Jesus teaches. It irritates them. And I want to say that that is in many regards, still the reaction in our culture today. It's still the reaction we see towards Jesus Christ. If we want to truly be in that place of checking our hearts this morning, and if we want to sort of like put ourselves through a test of whether or not we are close to how these Pharisees are looking at Jesus. We need to ask ourselves, is there anything that Jesus says to us through his words that irritates us? Or that we find repulsive? And in that case, it is good news for us today that, that Jesus does have a good message and 
a gospel message for us here today. And so, our outline for today looks like this. The title is, Not by Law, but by Grace. And what I want to show us here today are three points. First one, a woeful stench. Second one, rules don't save. And then the third one is that Jesus exposes hearts. So let's just pray before we read our text this morning. Oh, Father God, we thank you for your grace, Lord, that abounds. And, uh, and Lord, that is always with us. And your common grace that is available to this whole world at this moment through our current situation. But Lord, that your special grace is even more present here today, Lord, for those who, who draw near to you and seek your face. So Father, we come to you in that expectation, an expectation of hearing from you, hearing your true words, hearing your hard words towards our hearts. And so, Father, we come and pray. Come and enlighten our hearts. Come and illuminate to us the truth of your word. Speak it into our hearts. Lord, I pray for everyone who is listening and uh, tuning in this morning. I ask and pray that that you will prepare the soil for the seeds that are going to be sown. Lord, let your kingdom come and let your will be done here today. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So we are in Luke 16, verses 14 to 18. Let me read to us. It says there, the Pharisees who were lovers of money, heard all these things. So they were listening in, eavesdropping in on Jesus' parables and teachings. And they ridiculed him. And he said to them, You are those who justify yourselves before men, but God knows your hearts. For what is exalted among men is an abomination in the sight of God. The law and the prophets were until John. And since then, the good news of the kingdom of God is preached and everyone forces his way into it. But it is easier for heaven and earth to pass away than for one dot of the law to become void. Everyone who divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery. And he who marries a woman divorced from her husband commits adultery. Now we're first off going to look at how the Pharisees are responding to this teaching by Jesus. And under the first point of a woeful stench, we see that their response 
is that they ridicule him. And their response comes after Jesus at the end of verse 13 of chapter 16 in the Gospel of Luke. Jesus told them this. He said, listen, and he was actually speaking to his disciples, but the Pharisees were listening in. And he basically said, you cannot serve both God and money. And so after that, they laugh at him. They ridicule him. And the Greek word for ridicule means they're sneering at him and they're scoffing at him. And another way of describing it, it is expelling mucus out of the nose. It's not very COVID-19 hygienic, but that is what they did. That is what they did. The question is, for us, how often do we perhaps do this as well? I asked that question in the beginning. If we want to really test ourselves, we need to look at when Jesus teaches us something or says something, do we sneer and scoff at him in the same way? Do we perhaps respond in the same way to say, come on, Jesus, are you, are you for real in this day and age? Are you really saying this about money? Are you really saying this about sex? Are you really saying this about marriage? Are you really saying this about sexual orientation? And it's when Jesus teaches these things and, and our reaction will reveal to us well and truly where we're at with Jesus. If I were truly honest, I would say that I too sneer and scoff perhaps at these type of teachings and especially when it comes to wealth because let's be honest, money and wealth is a powerful thing in our day and age. It might not feel like that at the moment with COVID-19, Or it could very well be proven that it is still true in the midst of the situation. Because, you know, if we were honest, how powerful do we feel that at the click of a button, we can, with our Amazon app, order what we want and have it delivered within three to five business days? Or how easy is it for us to very quickly plan ahead our holidays to Mexico and Hawaii and already now, many people might be jumping on that and saying, hey, listen, when, when this passes, that we are going to find great deals again to go to Hawaii and Mexico. And what that does is it makes us feel powerful. It makes us feel that we are able to determine by the wealth that we have at our disposal what we can do, when we want to do it, and how much we want to do. And so, the issue with these Pharisees were that, you know, they were obsessed with money. They were obsessed with the power that it gave them. And they were esteemed to be righteous and justified before God based on this prosperity that they were portraying. In other words, they were living out a prosperity message. God's approval is on us. Look at how prosperous we are. 
And it sounds very sim similar and familiar to us if we look at the prosperity gospel message that's preached nowadays. But on the other side of the coin, what I also want to mention, and this wasn't originally in my notes, but I just felt like I wanted to say the other side of the coin is that you might get people that say, hey, listen, look at how little I have. I've given everything away. This proves God's favor upon my life. It's, it's a poverty gospel. And that is also false because if we listened to Jesus' teaching in the previous parable about the dishonest manager, the kingdom of God is about understanding that it is not about how much we have, but it's about understanding that it is what we have having been given to us by God and the way that we use that is a demonstration of our relationship with Him. It's not about how much you have, but it's about what you have and realizing that God has given it to you for His glory. And that's what these guys did not get and that's what many of us still don't get. And so Jesus flattens them by saying, you know, what people esteem to be pristine and what people uh, esteem to be successful and worthy of praise. For God, it is repulsive. Jesus says it is an abomination to God. And what that word abomination means is it is a woeful stench. It is the worst possible stench and smell that you can imagine. Think of the worst thing that you have ever smelled. Worse than that coffee breath in the morning. If, if you have babies and you've ever have kid, had kids, it's the worst possible diaper that you have ever changed. But take that diaper and say to the power of 10. That is what it is to God. That is what it means. It's the worst possible smell to try and live up to something that is esteemed as prestigious and successful by the culture and think that God is pleased with that. And so in the end, Jesus, once again, flattens all of us with this truth. And so in the end, if we are truly honest, all of us, we have to say, none of us are really any better than the Pharisees. I too easily fall into that trap of justifying my decisions of how I use my wealth, how I use my time, how I use whatever I have to my disposal in order to gain approval of man. The question to us this morning and this time is in what way are we still doing that while we are in the social distancing time, social isolation? In what way am I living that is really different than what the culture says? Am I now in this time caught up in catching up with the latest and greatest show on Netflix in order to stay current with society and culture and with my neighbors? Am I perhaps diving into the deep rabbit holes of YouTube 
to go and watch every coronavirus news report or conspiracy theory and share that on Facebook? Or am I in this time pressing in to God's grace and saying, well, this time that I have now is also a gift of God and the way that I use it is reflective of my relationship with Him. And that is what Jesus is saying to us under this first point of a woeful stench. Jesus carries on and, and with his teaching he zooms in on an even closer issue and the core issue here with these religious, religious elite, the Pharisees. Under point number two, rules don't save. And Jesus says this there in verses 16 to 17. He says, the law and the prophets, in other words, the Old Testament, the whole Old Testament, were until John. That is now John the Baptist. And since then, the good news of the kingdom of God is preached and everyone forces his way into it. But it is easier for heaven and earth to pass away than for one dot of the law to become void. Jesus, knowing the Pharisees' hearts and their pride in believing that they could justify themselves by abiding and keeping all of the laws of the Old Testament, he now turns his attention to the very thing that they are relying on. They were relying on their works. They were relying on this pristine and, and status and success in the culture and, and them supposedly keeping all of these laws, 613 laws in the Old Testament, plus their own traditions that they added to it. And they wrongfully thought and taught that that is the way to have a relationship with God. But what Jesus is saying here is that, listen, the whole Old Testament was fulfilled by him. He's saying that since the start of John the Baptist's ministry, and that was then the start of Jesus's ministry, the good news of the kingdom of God was preached. And that everyone, the whole world, not just one people group, one ethnic group, but that everyone was going to be able to enter the kingdom of God. And it would come with almost like a, a force, like an eagerness, like a group of people storming Costco for toilet paper and sanitizer in that type of force. Like it, the, the life depends on it. And Jesus says that is how salvation has come. Because he has fulfilled all the laws. The Old Testament was a shadow of the things to come. It was a shadow of Jesus. It was a foreshadowing of God's plan. We see this in Romans 8 verses 1 to 4. The Apostle Paul writes, he says, There is therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. 
For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do. Listen to that. God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do. By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. The big idea is this, that Jesus became sin for us. He who knew no sin became sin for us on the cross so that those who believed in him might become the righteousness of God. In other words, your own efforts don't save you. In other words, religion does not save. Keeping laws and rules does not make you right with God. I want to illustrate it to you in this way. And it has to do with sports. Because I know there's no sports on TV at the moment, right? We're missing our beloved hockey. But within sports and within the game of hockey, there are rules, right? And, and rules are great. Rules are needed for that sport. Rules protect the players. Rules make it enjoyable. If you have ever played a game of hockey or any game with any kids, doesn't even matter what game it is, and there's no rules, I promise you it's no fun. Because they realize there's an inherent ability from kids to realize there need to be rules. But with hockey, for example, it would be a total mess if there were no rules. I mean, hockey is already a mess, but can you imagine it without rules? I hope I'm offending some of the hockey enthusiasts out there by saying that. But it would be chaos. But abiding by the rules or keeping the rules in hockey as a team and, and just trying to do everything right while you're skating and never infringing is not going to get the puck into the net. What gets the puck into the net is a team that is able to sacrifice their own desires for the desire of the team. They're, they're willing to sacrifice for the strategy and the goal and the plan of the coach and the manager. And they passionately play for each other. And they know what it takes then to get a puck into the net. What Jesus is saying, and what I want to use this illustration for, is that the law was never intended to Help us win. The, the law was never intended to be abiding in, in order for us to win the game. But it was intended to help us see our mistakes and our sins as a player in the game. But to rely on him for his plan and strategy to gain victory. The plan and strategy was formalized by the best team ever, the best manager, the best coach. 
And the best comforter, you would call that person perhaps a physiotherapist, anyone, or the, the fitness coach, the Holy Spirit is that person. But the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit together came up with a perfect plan for the team, God's team, to achieve victory. To defeat sin and death and the enemy on the cross. And that strategy was through Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the one that came and he played the game for us in advance. He played according to every rule without breaking it. He scored the goals. He put the puck in the net. And what that meant was Jesus was saying, hey, listen, I've already won the battle. I've already defeated the enemy. Join my team. You know how it is when the Canucks beat the Bruins or the Oilers or whoever team it is, you know, we don't even play for the Canucks, but the Monday morning or in the week we say, yes, we've won. And I would ask you, what do you mean you won? You don't even play for the Canucks. Yeah, yeah, we won. It's because we understand the principle that when my team wins, I win. And so what Jesus is saying is he's already won it for us on the cross. We can be part of his team. He invites us not by the way that we keep the rules. He doesn't come and judge us by how well we use the hockey stick and move the puck around and score a goal and doing everything correctly. No, he says, be on, be on my side. I've already won it. And if you make a mistake, come to me. I'm the coach. Talk to me. Tell me, hey, coach, I'm sorry. Help me. And then he lets you go back into the ice to play the game. But the the victory is won. So it's, it's coming from a place of victory. It's coming from a place of where Jesus says, you are already loved. You are approved. You don't have to do all these things in order to be loved. And that is what these Pharisees still did not get. And that is what many of us still do not get. And we need to listen to Jesus' invitation to us this morning. Because Jesus knew the Pharisees' hearts. He knew that their religion was false. It was worthless. They were trying to portray and keep up something that was not possible. It did not bring them into a living relationship with God. And so he sets them up with a final verse here that seems to be out of place because Jesus knows all hearts. Jesus says, Everyone who divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery. And he who marries a woman divorced from her husband commits adultery. You see, Jesus knew that these religious actors or role players were hypocrites. And if we're honest, like all of us, How quickly do we also see the fault in someone else's life? 
specifically in the church, how quickly do we see the splinter in our brother or sister's eye, but we miss the two by four in our own eyes? Because what these Pharisees were doing is they were trying to portray an image that they were adhering to all of God's standards, but they were not even keeping up with their own standards. And with us, how many of us are able to keep up with our own standards? How many of us are able to stick to that New Year's resolution or stick to that New Year's diet or fitness program or not snooze when the alarm bell goes off on our phones each morning? And so in the same way, with these Pharisees, the issue was that they were trying to point out everything wrong in Jesus' life while Jesus never failed at any of the laws or commandments by God. He fulfilled the whole law. But Jesus knew their hearts and he knew that these guys were trying to live a life that was esteemed by the culture, powerful, popular, rich. But the problem was he knew how they were doing it. And listen to why he tells them that, listen, everyone who divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery. And whoever marries a woman who is divorced commits adultery. What they were doing is that they were granting the men in their congregations and in their synagogues, they were granting them divorces for any reason in exchange for money. What this looked like was that if they was a man who was dissatisfied with his wife, if she just looked at him the wrong way, or treated him the wrong way, or in whatever capacity he was dissatisfied in her or with her, these rabbis were allowing divorce to happen. But they were then saying, hey, we know that Moses gave us permission to divorce and uh, we know it's in Deuteronomy 24 and verses 1 to 4 and he, he did say that if you find anything indecent about your spouse, this is allowable. In other words, Jesus also taught that the only biblical grounds for divorce would be because of sexual immorality. But they were finding loopholes in the law. They were saying, it's okay, we can find a way to bend the rules a little bit if you make sure that by the end of this month, we do receive your transfer from Scotiabank into our bank account and God will be okay with it. And so that is how they were getting rich. And Jesus knew this. They were using the technicalities of the laws about divorce. And they themselves were divorcing and remarrying to fulfill lusts and their satisfaction for power, status, and wealth. And so the, the big thing that Jesus is exposing here in them are their adulterous 
and idolatrous hearts. Not only in their actions in divorcing, but in their heart's desire for God. They were guilty of spiritual idolatry. We are very much the same when we think that we can get away with anything and that God turns a blind eye when we try and find loopholes to gain God's favor. In many instances in the church, we find this that people are not just trying to find loopholes, but they are making use of grace to say, hey, but listen, God's grace is there for me. I can carry on just living then the way that I would like to live. And they cheapen the price that Jesus Christ paid on the cross. We see this in Romans 6, verse 1 to 2. And again in verses 11 to 14, the Apostle Paul writes as he says, What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for righteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life. And your members to God as instruments for righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you, since you are not under the law, but under grace. Hence the title of today's message, not by law, but by grace. We are not under the law. We are not made right with God or brought into relationship with Him based on our performance, but by the forgiveness that He presents to us through Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. I want to conclude with this, that from the start, Jesus was preaching the good news of the kingdom of God. And it was not a message about doing all the right things and avoiding all the wrong things, all the do's and don'ts. That is what these Pharisees were preaching, but they were not even doing that. They were trying to find every little loophole in God's law. In order to get into the kingdom. God's way from the beginning of creation had been. That there was a, an established relationship between God and man. It was not based on how well man performed. Or keeping certain rules. But it was based on love. It was because of God's love. Because God is love. You see God loved these Pharisees so much. That. He still sent Jesus to proclaim to them the good news. He still sent Jesus to these hypocrites to tell them that, hey, you are the lost sheep that I will go after. 
you are the lost coin that the widow has found. You are the religious older brother in the story of the prodigal son. Who if you repent, you too can have a feast with the father. He is the one who came to them and he said, listen, you are the dishonest manager who is squandering the master's wealth, but repent. And in this situation, he is the one who again is calling them to repent from their adultery and idolatry. And Jesus is saying that to us as well this morning. That there is no other way into his kingdom other than through true repentance. And what this looks, looks like is, is not saying th just that I'm sorry, I'm not going to do it again. If you stand in front of a judge and the judge has given you a sentence and found you guilty of speeding, there is a fine that needs to be paid. So if you just say, sorry, I'm not going to do it again, he's not going to let you go. The fine has to be paid. The difference is with Jesus is he's paid the fine. So repentance means, yes, you have godly remorse. You acknowledge your sin. I have sinned. I'm sorry. But you trust in God's provision, in Jesus, having paid the penalty for your sin. And so we need to rely on God's gracious forgiveness if we want to live a life that is worthy of Him. If we do that and we trust in Jesus, He is the one who then declares over us that we are holy, we are blameless, we are guiltless, and we are shameless children of God. That is our only hope in this time. In this situation that we are finding ourselves in currently, with the world being in a state of chaos, and people not knowing where to turn to, our only hope is in Jesus Christ. You will find your peace in Jesus. You will find your worth in Jesus. You will find purpose in Jesus, but you will find your salvation and your eternity secure only in Jesus Christ. Let's pray.